Hey guys, I want to go ahead and start this podcast off by prefacing, you know, it seems like a never-ending story with me these days, but sorry if I'm a little nasally, if I'm having a little trouble breathing. I'm pretty sure I have a sinus infection right now. Actually, I've got a, an appointment later today to go get that two-foot-long Q-tip shoved all the way up my nose to tickle my brain to find out if I got the Rona. But uh, so I've been struggling <laughs> trying to breathe here recently, but uh, so please bear with me. Hopefully the quality of the podcast will get better as the season goes on. Additionally, I'm sorry about dragging and lagging on the time to get these out. Um, as some of you might have saw from the Google Doc, got a lot going on with some of the leagues that I run that just chasing people for dues, contracts, and just some everyday bullshit that shouldn't have to be going on. But none of that really applies to you guys. You guys have been amazing. So I want to go ahead and get the podcast out first and foremost to you guys. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Since we are a little short on time, guys, I am going to do a little rapid fire here, so please bear with me. Um, hopefully, we have a lot more time in future podcasts to go ahead and do a little bit deeper dive. So, you know, I do apologize on that. It's a little bit my fault, a little bit others' fault, but I'll take all the blame. So, first off, I just wanted to go ahead and dive in on week one matchups. These are in no particular order, just kind of going by what first come, first serve that pops up on the screen here. First, I'd like to go over Eric versus Jack. We got the Woo Stars against the Suit Supply. I did a lot of research into this matchup, and it's actually a really nice one, to be honest with you. I mean, there's there's a lot of similarities across the board on these teams. There is two glaring holes that I'll talk about, but it's, it's a pretty fair matchup. It would have been a lot better two weeks ago, but, you know, obviously some cuts and some roster changes have changed how this team and this uh, matchup's outlook ends up being. So, First off, the quarterbacks, you couldn't really find much better of a quarterback matchup in week one. There's only one quarterback matchup I like better than this, which we'll discuss later. But you got Russell Wilson going up against DJ, um, Deshaun Watson. These are my number three, I'm sorry, my number four, number five quarterbacks in the dynasty leagues this year, according to my rankings. These guys have a lot of similarities. Their football IQ is through the roof. They can get it done on their legs. Amazing arms. They have big game potential. It's going to be big weeks for both of them. Wilson usually does well against the Falcons, and Watson's going to have to be in a shootout tonight against Kansas City to have any chance. So for the quarterback position, I kind of give it a wash, to be honest with you. I give a slight edge to Watson, but I do think it's going to be a wash in points. I think it's going to be relatively close. You get to the running back position, and this is where the biggest glaring hole of this matchup is. You know, Eric, two weeks ago, might have had a number one running back to go along with the most hyped running back rookie in the draft. In 12 weeks, he might have two top 10 running backs. As it stands right now, he's got two guys in a timeshare, the lower part of a timeshare, probably getting 40% of their touches this week, if that. Neither one of them had much time with the team, especially with Rona going on. Neither one of them have had much time to learn the book, uh, the playbook. They're super talented physical guys. I just don't see them being productive week one. So I'm going to give the edge to Jack in this one. Jack's rocking out with Run CMC, the number one running back in the NFL, especially for fantasy purposes. This guy's a monster. He's two players in one. He's definitely going to show up week one. He wants to prove to the world he earned that contract. And to be honest with you, there's not much out there in uh, Carolina. Their defense is pathetic, so they need some big plays, and CMC is going to be the man. Second, elect Singletary. He's probably going to be in a timeshare, but I think we're going to see Singletary from the tail end of last year more so than the beginning of the year. I think he's going to get some touches. I think he's going to make some work. So 
I definitely get the edge in the running back position of Jack and not even by a close margin. I think CMC is going to triple the production of Taylor and Fournette combined. Next, I'd like to go on to the wide receiving core. Very similar here, guys, just like the quarterback position. Across the board, I mean, if you look at the names, you probably wouldn't think it, but even matchups. You have Tyree Kill against Julio Jones, my number one and number three wide receivers in ranks. I think both these guys have big game potential, and I think they're going to show out week one. Both their teams are going to need them to. Like I said, Tyreek's going to be in a shootout. Julio's going to need to put up some big plays to give Atlanta a shot to beat up on uh, Seattle. Both these guys have 30-point game potentials. I don't see them necessarily achieving that, but I'm definitely seeing close to a 20 to 25-point game for each of them, especially in a PPR. So the matchup here is about a wash for me. We go to wide receiver two. Very similar guys once again. You got Keenan Allen and Amari Cooper, two of the better route runners in the NFL. Um, both of them find themselves in unique situations compared to where they were last year. Completely different situations, though. These two guys at the end of the year have very similar stat lines, in my opinion, but the way they get there is completely different. Keenan Allen is a ground and pound, steady Eddie, always just going to be consistent target monster. On the side of the ball, Amari Cooper has six big games, shit, six shit games every season. That's just his style. Like I said, both these guys had some changes in the offseason that really shake up their productivity in 2020. So it's yet to be seen what they're going to do. I had these guys as a wash, but personally, I don't think Keenan Allen is going to get the volume with Tyrod Taylor at the QB position this year. And Amari Cooper with Dallas going out there and getting uh, C.D. Lamb and also talking up uh, Jarwin, who is a much better tight end than, uh, than Witten at this point in his career. It's really going to lessen some of the big game targets that are going to Amari Cooper. They're going to spread the ball out a little more. Again, these guys are pretty even. This wide receiver two is going to be a wash for me. You go to the wide receiver three position, two more guys that really aren't the same, but their productivity kind of is. Um, you know, both of them have been in the league for quite a while. Both of them have failed to meet expectations for various reasons. Devontae Parker is because he spent so much time with Adam Gase. And I mean, Devontae Parker has always been <laughs> the preseason darling of the NFL every season. Last year with Fitzmagic, he was able to actually show some magic out there. Got a lot of targets, but a lot of them came when Preston Williams was injured. I do think he has big game potential. He has two, uh, I think he had multi-touchdown games multiple times last year. He's going to have a decent game. I don't know if he's going to put up huge, huge numbers in this one. Across the board there, you have Will Fuller, who is pretty much, my opinion, the target one in Houston now. They got rid of DeAndre Hopkins. Whether or not he can stay healthy all season is yet to be determined. I do think in this shootout, he's going to have a big game. I give the edge in the wide receiver three position over to Jack, but it is very close, guys. These two guys, in my opinion, at the end of the year are going to have very similar numbers. Again, just like Keenan and Amari, how they got there is completely different. You go on to uh, the glaring hole number two for me. I love the name. I've always been a Gronk fan. Those who played fantasy with me for years know I love this guy. You know, I was, I was the Gronk monster for ages. I always drafted him, loved him. That was five years ago. Gronk's body was tearing down three, four years ago. We saw it. We witnessed it. It never got better. It only got worse. So fast forward to here, 2020. Gronk is about 20 pounds lighter. I mean, I know he's been putting on some football weight, trying to build up some strength. But anyone who's played any kind of competitive sports knows once you lose it, you've lost it. You can't get it back. You may have glimpses of it here and there, but you're never going to fully return that value that you once had or that, that oomph that you had in your prime. 
There's no different for Gronk. Gronk's a big body guy. He's going to be a target machine in the red zone. So I do think he comes out of this one with a touchdown. But I can see him having one catch for 12 yards and a touchdown. Across the table there, you have Mark Andrews. He is the mecca of the tight end position for all industry experts going into 2020. Everyone loves this guy. Super athletic. He was so good. He got Hayden Hurst, who was a first-round pick out of Baltimore. He never even really got to see the field that much. He's the number one target in that offense. The team has talked about wanting to spread the ball out a little bit more, but I do think he's going to be um, I do think he's going to be Lamar's safety net. I see a big game and a big season for Mark Andrews, so I give the edge in this in this uh, tight end department over to Eric, and it's not even close. Now we start going on to the flex and the super flex position. The flex position, both these guys, I'm not big fans of this year. I mean, I know one has a giant pedigree and just can't stay healthy, and the other had a monster season, but the problem is can you rely on them? Hunter Henry can't stay healthy. The dude has amazing pedigree. He lost his quarterback, who was an amazing uh, amazing passing threat. And now he goes to Tyrod, who is a check down guy. But that being said, guys, I need to see the rapport. I'm not very big on Hunter this first week. I think he gets some targets. I think he gets probably six to eight targets. Probably catches four of them for about 60 yards, maybe a touch. That's not impressive, but at the flex position, I guess you can't ask for too much more in a league this deep. Across the table there, you have Raheem Mostert. Everyone loved Mostert. I rode Mostert to a title myself. The biggest difference is this guy's like 29 years old. He's been in the league longer than anyone imagines. I think he's been on seven teams. He's really a special team specialist that just got some run in an offense that with their zone blocking scheme is amazing for any running back. That being said, they're going to utilize Coleman. They paid Coleman big bucks. They still got McKinnon coming off the injured reserve, finally healthy. He's getting paid big bucks, and they went out and drafted Hasty. I don't think Mostert is going to be the Mostert of last year again. This flex position, it's a wash for me. I don't know what to expect from either one of them. I don't have high hopes, but I think it's a wash. I'm thinking four to six points for either or maybe eight at max for both. Now we go to the super flex position. Looks like both these teams did the smart thing. They're utilizing a QB in the super flex position. And these QBs are matched up perfectly. They're actually playing against each other as well. We have the we have the battle of the grandpas, more or less. I think the combined age of these two quarterbacks is 99 or some shit like that. It's going to be a shootout for, them, for uh, New Orleans and Tampa Bay. I don't think these guys still have the zip in them to throw 400 yards and multi-touchdowns. Brady never really did. He would pull it out of his ass every now and then. But I do think both these guys are going to go for three to 325, three touchdowns and a pick. It's going to be kind of a wash for me. If I had to put money on one of them, I'd put money on Brady. Brady being at home, if it was in New Orleans, I would definitely put it on Breeze. So this this position's a wash for me as well. I hate talking about kickers. I keep them in the game because they are they need some love too. They actually play football. But this is a great kicker matchup. You have my number one and number three kicker in the NFL going against each other. Both of them should be extremely high-scoring games. I don't see a lot of field goals being kicked by either one, but I do see probably five <laughs> extra points for each of them. Um, the kicker position here for it, for me is a wash. I don't think there's much variance between Butker and Lutz. Now we go to the defense special teams position. There is a variance here. I'm not a Lions fan. The Lions had a great defense years ago. They lost their best cover corner. They can be exposed. 
since uh, Chicago has a lot of question marks on offense, which is actually going to be great for Detroit, maybe help them build a little rapport with one another, kind of help build some steam going into the season. We don't know who the quarterback's truly going to be for Chicago. Don't know if Montgomery's going to be able to get on the field. They're going to have a chance to slow down Chicago, but I think it's just going to be with just an inept Chicago offense more than an impressive Detroit defense. Across the table there, you have the Titans. The Titans are going up against Denver. Denver just lost their best defensive weapon, so they're going to have to score points to win, which means they're going to air it out. They've got a lot of good weapons out there. They went heavy on their offense in this draft. I'm not a big fan of Drew Luck, but I do think he's got enough weapons around him to be successful. I think the Titans get a couple of interceptions and honestly a fumble return in this one. I see a lot of turnovers for them. I do think they give up points, but I think they make up with it in turnovers. I give the slight edge of the defense position to the um, Titans and Jack in this one. So looking back at the rosters, pretty even across the board, except for the running back and tight end positions. I'm giving the edge in this one. I think Sleeper has it currently at 161.10 for Jack against 166.60 for Eric and the Woo Stars. I'm seeing a little different. I'm saying 189 for Jack to 168 for Woo Stars. The victory, in my opinion, is going to Jack week one, knocking off Eric in a, in a barn burner. Next matchup I'd like to talk about is actually one that I like just for shit-talking purposes. We have the two co-commissions, Trip and uh, Snyder, going up against each other. This is going to be really good. Sleeper has it as a neck-and-neck neck as of right now. I do as well, to be honest with you. Um, hadn't really dug as deep into this one as I wanted to. Without further ado, let's just kind of jump into it. It's very odd for me to see a team that has Cam Newton on it without Snyder being at the helm. Um, so it's it's unique that he gets to go against Newton, his boy, week one. Um, Trip rocking out with Newton. I think Newton's going to be doing some good things up there in New England. If he's healthy, I think the guy's a top 10 uh, quarterback. He's not going to do it with his legs anymore. But he is a freak of nature. He's going to put some in on the. He's going to put some touchdowns in very close with his legs. But he's going to try to air it out there. They got some big body receivers in Harry, and uh, some of these young guys. Edelman's as steady as they come with the receiving. They've got who knows what's going on in the backfield. So they're going to rely on Cam in this one. Miami's defense has gotten a lot better, but they still haven't played together much. So it's going to be unique to see what they can do. I think Cam's going to have a pretty decent game. Across the table there, you have uh, Carson Wentz. Kid is super talented. Um, biggest problem with Carson Wentz and the Eagles, they can't stay healthy. I don't know what the fuck they're doing up there in Philadelphia, but they could not keep that receiving core healthy to save their lives. Wentz does seem to have Deshaun Jackson healthy for week one, so I see a big connection going on with those two guys. Um, Ertz and Goddard are going to eat well. Boston Scott and Sanders, if he's fully healthy, they're going to eat. There's going to be a lot of passing going on for Carson Wentz. I do think the Washington defense can be exposed aerially, aer aerially. So I do think Carson has a big game. I give the slight edge in this matchup to Snyder and Carson Wentz. Moving on to the running back position, this is a pretty unique one. Um, Tripp has two young, athletic, versatile guys that are going to see a lot of touches, especially if healthy, throughout the season. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. There's a reason Mahomes drafted, wanted his team to draft him in the first round. There's a reason he went 32nd overall. The guy's small. I'm actually bigger than he is. No lie. I'm taller. Probably weigh a little more. Biggest difference is 
the guy's super talented. They're comparing him a lot to Brian Westbrook, um, uh, Maurice Jones-Drew, things like that. He's yet to be seen on the NFL field. I did think he did some amazing things in college. He was able to tear up those SEC defenses and make us look stupid. Like I said, it's yet to be seen what he's going to do on the uh, NFL field. But if there's anybody who can get the best out of a running back, Andy Reid, I think this is going to be a great matchup and a shootout against Houston. Next trip has Sanders. Sanders, I love Sanders. If he was not, if he could ever stay healthy, I think Sanders is a top six running back in the NFL. He just was never given the touches last year. Once he was given them while he was healthy, he showed out. I think if he can get the touches this year, he's going to have a top 12 season. Problem is whether or not he can stay on the field. I think he's going to be healthy enough to play week one against Washington. They're going to put up points. I think he's going to do it both on the ground and through the air with some catches. I love this duo of CEH and Sanders across the table. You have one of my favorite running backs in the NFL, probably the best pure running back in the NFL with Saquon Barkley. Saquon was hobbled last year, had a high ankle sprain. The freak of nature came back after two weeks. You usually miss six to eight with that injury. (laughs) He still came out there and proved what he can do. There isn't a running back since Adrian Peterson that is this physically, that's a physical specimen and has the ability that, this running back does. I think he's going to do great things in 2020. Of the running backs between these two teams, he's my favorite, especially for week one. I think he's going to help help um, cover that gap for the RB2 with Howard. I don't think Howard's the number one in Miami. I think Howard's actually going to play a timeshare with Breda. Breda's a lot more dynamic. He's a lot more explosive. I think it's going to be a 50-50 timeshare where Howard will get a lot more of those end zone touches and maybe the first down looks. Brady's going to come in there and bust some big plays. Between the two running backs, between these two teams, I'm giving the slight edge to trip, but it's very, very slight. I'm talking neck and neck, just like the quarterback position. As of right now, the teams are awash, in my opinion. You go on down to the wide receiving cores. This is where it gets fun for me. You have Godwin against Hopkins. Both guys are super talented wide receivers. (laughs) Biggest problem for both guys, they're in offenses that have so many weapons. It's whether or not they're going to get the target share they need to to be what they were last year. Godwin was the wide receiver two. Hopkins, we know, has been a perennial wide receiver top three. Biggest problem is Hopkins goes to a now very, very saturated offense in Arizona with a young quarterback and a coach who loves to throw it around. They're going to have a lot of four wide receiver sets. Hopkins is going to dictate a lot of double coverage which means they have those other talented weapons out there like Kirk and Fitzgerald who are going to get the passes. I don't think Hopkins gets the touches. Across the table, you have Godwin, same boat. Now in Tampa Bay, Mal's defeat, Gronk, O.J. Howard, Evans, Scotty Miller's getting a lot of talk. You have Ronald Jones, Fournette. I think Godwin's going to get his touches. He's not going to be what he was last year. I think he takes a step back. But I think this is a pretty good matchup. I kind of give it a wash at the wide receiver one position. Wide receiver two, two very similar style guys. Target Monster and Adam Thielen, especially now that Diggs is gone and Jefferson hasn't really picked up the playbook well. They're going to have to go to Thielen early and often. I think he's going to be a target hawk. It's great for PPR play week one. I can see 12 receptions for this guy out the gate. Across the table, Allen Robinson, he, outside of Miller, he's the only threat in Chicago right now. You don't know what's going on in the running back position. You don't know who's going to be playing QB. It's better for him if Foles plays QB. I think Foles will target him a lot. He might be the best quarterback he's ever played with. So I do think 
Robinson gets close to 10 touches, if not, or t- catches, or if not more. I think this is kind of close. I think Robinson puts one in the end zone. I don't think Thielen does. I give the slight edge in this department to Snyder at the wide receiver two position. Wide receiver three, two guys who came on big last year, big big play material. Problem is, you don't know what the offenses are going to look like this year. Slayton, he had some great games last year. They usually came when two of Ingram, Tate, and Shepard were out. I don't think he's the number two. I think he's the number three. He's actually probably the uh, the fifth target in that passing game behind Tate, uh, Sterling Shepard, Ingram, and then Barkley. I think he has an okay game, but he's going to have to bust a long one to be fantasy viable, especially in a PPR this year. I think he's probably going to get four points week one, if I had to guess. Across the table there, you have DJ Chark. DJ Chark won a lot of leagues last year. The guy came out of nowhere. He got a lot of buzz in the preseason, and he showed out. Had a good rapport with um, Minshew. He's a big play kind of guy as well. He's a big body receiver. <laughs> I think that rapport builds and carries on into this season. It's They're going to have to air it often. They don't have much of that running back. Uh, running back room as of right now, especially since they let go of Fournette. Mitchu's trying to prove that he is an NFL quarterback, so he's going to throw it early and often, and Shark is his number one target. I have a big game for Shark in this one. The edge of the wide receiver three position, and it's not even close, goes to Snyder. Now we go on to the tight end position. Two tight ends that get a lot of buzz in the NFL, especially in fantasy. I'm not big on them. Higby did great at the tail end of last year. The guy did great for like four or five games. Granted, they were the best four or five games that a streak or a four or five game stretch that any tight end had last year. But they've got a lot of weapons out in LA. I don't think they want to run 12 personnel, 12 personnel often with that receiving core. There's way too much talent out there. They need to get Cup, Woods, and Jefferson, maybe Reynolds going. I think Higby takes a step back and he actually disappoints for fantasy owners this year. Across the table, Cook, Cook's probably the third target in New Orleans behind Thomas and Kamara. I'm not a big fan of Sanders this year. The guy's old. He's coming off some serious injuries. He did well last year, but it's a different team. I think Cook has a pretty good season. I think he catches a touchdown, maybe 20, 30 yards in this one. I give the slight edge at the tight end position, as odd as it is, to Cook. Not a big fan of either one, but I think that's where it's going to lead in this one. Now we move on to the flex and the super flex position. At the flex position... Two guys who were some of my favorites three, four years ago. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I think, should have never left the Chargers. I think it was a great fit for him. He goes to a team that he's in a worse situation for touches than he was in L.A. I think Philip Lindsay is a better complement piece and actually probably going to be utilized a lot more than Eckler was in L.A. And behind that is Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman actually is a great running back. If you see him on the field, he does a lot of good things well. I mean, he's not excellent at one thing, but he does a lot of good things well. A lot of things well. Sorry about that. He uh, he can catch the ball. He can run the ball. They're talking already that it's going to be a 50-50 timeshare out there in Denver. They've got a lot of aerial weapons they need to start exposing as well and utilizing for Locke to have a good season. I don't see a big season for Gordon. I think Gordon at most is maybe 800 yards on the ground, maybe 100 to 200 in the air. I think it's a really big down season for him. Across the table there, you have Hilton. Hilton's getting older. He's actually on a team with two younger dynamic weapons that he may just – I think 
if I had to guess, guys, I really do think that Hilton is just going to be a decoy this season. I think Paris Campbell and Pittman are going to get a lot of targets early and often. I think Hilton's going to get his, but we're looking at probably a 60 to 65 catches for 900 yards and about six touchdowns, if that. That's if he can stay healthy. I'm worried about his health. <laughs> Week one, they're going up against Jacksonville with the worst defense in the NFL. Jacksonville sold off everything except for the stadium this season. I think Hilton does well in week one. I think he actually does better for his team than Gordon will for uh, Tripp's team. So I give the slight edge of the flex position to Snyder in week one. And the super flex position, again, both teams did really smart things by putting a QB there. The QBs are very similar, too, as odd as it is. Um, I talked up Tannehill very, very much in the offseason and actually traded him to uh, Snyder in one, one league. Tannehill's a great quarterback, guys. A lot of people don't realize this. Ever since he came out of Texas A&M, the kid was actually very talented. When given the opportunity, he was super efficient. Problem was, he was in that Adam Gase offense. There is not a single player who has played under Adam Gase who has ever been any good to football or fantasy football. Adam Gase is a football killer. Tannehill going to Tennessee is amazing. Derrick Henry scares the shit out of defenses, which means that it gives Tannehill all day long to throw the ball to some super talented wide receivers out there. Across the table, you have the most accurate quarterback in the NFL in Kirk Cousins. Statistically, he is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. Now, he lost a big weapon in Diggs. They replaced it with Jeff Justin Jefferson, who I think is going to be a phenomenal slot receiver in the NFL one day. Problem is, He's not ready yet. He's not getting a lot of buzz out of training camp. They're actually talking about him missing a step and not doing well. Thielen's getting older. They're going to double Thielen. This is going to be a run-first team that's going to start relying a lot on their defense to try to slow games down. I think Cousins is going to get some, but it's not going to be a lot of 300-yard gains for Cousins this year. I'm thinking more like 250 to 270 and a touch, maybe two touchdown kind of gains for Cousins. I give the slight edge at the super flex position to Snyder here. And it's very slightly. I don't think either of these guys are going to have huge games through the passing game. Their teams are going to run the ball early and often and rely on their defenses. Now we go on to my favorite position, the kicker position. I really don't want to talk about kickers at all, but it's a pretty good matchup here. I mean, Robbie Gold is going to put up a lot of points against Arizona. He was an effective kicker last year. San Francisco has a way of always moving the ball towards the end zone. He's going to get some field goals, a couple extra points in this game. They're going to have to put up points to compete with Arizona. Across the table there, you've got Myers in Atlanta. It's always good to kick in the dome. Atlanta gives up points. We were gouged early and often last year by every team we faced. I think this is going to be a pretty nice matchup for kickers. Both of them I can see going for 8 to 10 points apiece. Pretty much a wash for me uh, as it relates to week one. Now we go on to the defenses. Two very similar defenses here. San Francisco was pretty much on everyone's waiver wire week one last year. And they ended up being the number two defense in football for most fantasy leagues. Their defense is a hard hitting, just pound you to the ground kind of defense. I love what they do. I love what they do on the defensive side of the ball. I think they take a slight step back this year. I think teams are going to figure out how to play with them. Still see them as a top five defense. They are going up against a team who is going to air the ball out early and often, and I'm talking everywhere. They're going to be throwing four and five wide receiver sets out there. It's going to give this team a lot of headaches. I think they're going to give up a lot of points. They might get some turnovers, but they're going to give up points in week one. 
across the ball there, you have my favorite defense. They've been one of my favorite defenses since the early or the early 2000s. I know obviously defenses change year after year, but just the way the Ravens play defense, they just beat you in a submission week in and week out. Lamar Miller and that run game are going to control the game. It's going to wear down opposing defenses. Ravens defense is not going to allow opposing offenses to get in a rhythm at all. They're going up against Cleveland, which I do think is going to have a better offense this year. They've got a lot of offensive weapons out there in Cleveland, but if there's a team who can match up with them pound for pound on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to be the Ravens. I think the defensive edge goes slightly to Snyder in this one, but it's going to be probably two top five defenses at week's end here. So that's pretty much the breakout I got. Like I said earlier, it's a pretty tight matchup according to Sleeper. I think they've got it 168-53 for Tripp against 166-82 for Snyder. I'm actually going to say it's very close. Um, usually the projections are shit wrong. This time I think they're going to be pretty accurate. I've actually got it 172 Trip to 174-5 for Snyder. The victory going to Snyder, Trip taking the L week one. Snyder being the second team to pull out a W in the first week of this season. For our third matchup of the week, we're going to talk about Eric Jetty Batman versus Clay. Clay, not Hilaire. <laughs> Sorry about that, by the way. Um, so this matchup, uh, it's actually, I don't know what to think of it. You know, there's a lot of variances between these two teams across the board. Um, so I, I guess I'll just dive in and just go ahead and get it going, though. Sleeper has it 171.51 for Eric versus 163.71 for Clay. I see what Sleeper's trying to do here. I think they're shit wrong in these projections for this week for this matchup. The quarterback position, Eric's pulling out Danny Dimes. Danny Dimes actually had a very good, quiet fantasy season last year, whether people realize it or not. Biggest problem is, guys, he turns the ball over. Pretty frequently, I think he had a decent amount of interceptions and fumbles uh, collectively last year. They are going up against Pittsburgh, probably my favorite defense for fantasy this year. I think there's going to be a lot of turnovers in this game. Luckily, as it sits right now, Danny Dimes has all his weapons healthy. So he's going to have a lot of options out there. If they can rely on Barkley to go ahead and start grounding and just pounding against that defensive line for uh, Pittsburgh, hopefully open up some targets in the passing game for Danny. He should have a decent game. I don't see him going for more than 250 and two touchdowns and an interception in this one. But again, guys, I'm no fantasy analyst. That's just my projection. Across the table there, you have Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Bridgewater did amazing things last year when he came in for an injured Drew Brees. He's a game manager, guys. That's what he's been brought in to do. Um, he does have some great weapons out there in Carolina with Run CMC, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, whether we see it, uh, one of my favorite tight ends. And Ian Thomas, the kid's super athletic and talented. He just hadn't been given the option since he's been, by, by, been behind Olsen. I think this matchup against the Vegas is going to be great for him to kind of, you know, go ahead and cut his teeth with Carolina. I think they're going to rely heavily on Kamara, I mean, uh, Run CMC. But he's going to use them a lot in the passing game as well. I think he's going to target more pretty often. I don't think either of these two quarterbacks have a big game. I think both of them are probably maxing out at that 275 yards. And I do think they have very similar stat lines. It's a pure wash across the board for two completely different QBs. Now we move on to the running back position. 
<laughs> I don't even want to say here. Um, Eric's running backs are head and shoulders, in my opinion, for week one, better than what we're going to see Clay put out there. Kamara and Jacobs, two top seven running backs, in my opinion. Kamara's going to get his contract. He's going to get his touches. He's going to have to be utilized heavily for them to have a good chance against all those weapons in Tampa Bay. He's going to get his, he's going to get his aerial, aerial yards. He's probably going to get close to 80, 90 on the ground. I think it's going to be a big game for him. He's going to prove why he deserves that contract. Right behind that, you have Jacobs. Gruden is talking up heavily in the offseason about how he thinks Jacobs got screwed by not being considered for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Knowing Gruden, guys, this guy is a I'll-prove-you-wrong kind of guy. So it's to be expected he's going to give a lot of work to Jacobs to help prove the naysayers wrong. They spent a lot of capital in the draft on wide receiver weapons for this team, for Derek Carr, which now that Tyrell Williams is on the injured reserve, it's probably a smart thing. They did just trade away Bowden, so there's really not competition in that backfield, guys. If you look at this roster composition, all the backups in Las Vegas are scat backs. None of them are a true two to three down back. So Jacobs is going to get the touches, guys. He's going to get them early. He'll get them often. I actually have him as a top five running I need to quit saying early and often by the way but I have him as a top five running back for week one I think he's going to clear 100 yards maybe get two on the ground across the table there Gurley I'm one of the biggest fans of Gurley I love the guy I'm super stoked when he came to Atlanta I think he's going to fit our scheme well when he's on the field problem is guys those knees are just falling apart coming from somebody who's had two reconstructed knee surgeries and has arthritis in both knees it doesn't get better with age guys unless he's taking cortisone shots and steroids every day it's not going to get better for this guy i do think he's healthy enough week one to go out there and have a big week they atlanta's going to utilize him to help alleviate some openings for that offensive uh, passing game Gurley's going to have a big game here I do think he will be a top 10 running back in week one. It's going to be close. I do think he has a huge game. I just want to see him get through it healthy. Right behind him, we have Cam Akers. Cam Akers, we saw what he did with a shit line in Florida State. This guy was one of the most highly touted running backs coming into college. His pedigree is amazing. Like I said, he played behind a shit line in college. He's going to be playing behind a shit line in the NFL as well. It's not guaranteed that he's the workhorse there either. Malcolm Brown is going to get the first touch of this game. That guy's been in the system for a while. They kept him for a reason. If if Darrell Henderson's healthy, he's going to get touches, guys. I do think if all three are healthy, it's a timeshare. It's probably going to be a 10% for Malcolm, 50% for Cam, and 40% for Henderson. That being said, the matchup is pretty tough against Dallas, whether people realize it or not. I don't have big things for um, Akers in week one. I think the edge at the running back position easily goes to Eric here and is not even close. Next, we go on to the receiving core. The combination of Juju, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, and A.J. Green in a perfect world is amazing. In a perfect world where all these guys are hitting potential, these are three top 15 wide receivers. I'm talking 400 combined yards and three to four touchdowns easily. Problem is it's not a perfect world. Hollywood actually has a tough matchup week one against Cleveland. Juju, we got to see Juju. We got to see whether or not he's actually 
as good as he was two years ago, if that was just because everybody was focused on Antonio Brown. Last year was a disaster, but <laughs> he might as well have been playing with me at QB last year. AJ Green, when AJ Green is healthy, he is one of the most elite wide receivers on the field. Problem is he's got to stay healthy. That being said, guys, we talk about Julio Jones being wide receiver one this year, maybe wide receiver two at worst. They're the same age, same draft, went back to back. AJ, if he is healthy, will be an elite receiver this year. Mark my words. Cross the board there. It's no, it's no contest here, guys. As much as I just talked well about the three on the other side, I love these three wide receivers. Now, they got some holes. They got some issues, but I love these three. Michael Thomas is going to feed. He's going to feed often. Michael Thomas is going to get his touches. I see an easy 20-point game week one for Michael Thomas. I don't think he touches the catches that he had last year, but he's going to be their go-to early. Next, we have Mike Evans. Evans finds himself in the same boat that Godwin did. There's a lot of mouths to feed out there in Tampa Bay now, and Tom Brady spreads the ball out. Tom Brady, back when he had Randy Moss, he did throw it deep quite often. That was years ago, guys. That was like 10 years ago. And in the same token, I don't think Tom Brady is a risk-it-biscuit kind of quarterback who's willing to throw those balls up for 50-50 grabs that Mike Evans thrives on. I do think Mike Evans takes a step back. I don't think he's a top 10 wide receiver this year. Still top 20, but he takes a step back. Week one, though, I do think he comes out and plays big against New Orleans. He's going to have to against that off or that defense for New Orleans for Tampa Bay to have a shot. Next, we have Diggs. I loved Diggs in Minnesota. I don't know what the hell they did, why they let this guy go. Diggs is a phenomenal wide receiver. That being said, Buffalo did spend a shitload of draft capital to get this guy. They, With what they spent on him, they are proving to the world that he is their wide receiver one. Problem is, Josh Allen is not accurate. Josh Allen is one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks in the NFL. Diggs thrives on catching the ball in stride and taking it to the house. He thrives on his ability to make cuts, get the ball in stride, and move. I don't think Allen's going to be able to hit him. Allen's going to catch him for a couple here and there that Diggs himself off his pure athletic ability is going to turn into touchdowns. But I think it's a big downgrade from Diggs going from Minnesota to Buffalo. In Minnesota, I had Diggs as the top 20 wide receiver easily week after week, potentially top 20, uh, 15 on the season. I think he's top 20 at peak at Buffalo. Now, that all being said, I do get the edge in the – Wide receiving department over to Clay, and it's not even close, guys. Next, we go on to tight ends. I'm just going to say two things. George Kittle. George Kittle is one of the most athletic tight ends in the game. He's going to be the tight end one at season's end. I know Kelsey's a freak. Kittle's going to be tight end one at the end of the season, in my opinion. This isn't even a competition. Hooper was only great in Atlanta, in my opinion, because he got volume with a very good quarterback that throws to tight ends. He now goes to a team that has super amount of weapons. He's not even the most talented tight end on his team. And Joku is a far better tight end personally, athletically, than Hooper. I don't think Hooper has a great year. I think he was overhyped. This, this advantage goes drastically, drastically to Eric and Kittle on this one. Now we move on to the uh, flex and the super flex position. Cohen, I think, is going to have a great week one, especially if Montgomery's hobbled. 
doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for Chicago week one. <laughs> Both of them are going to have to check down a lot, and they're going to throw it to uh, Cohen. I think we're going to see one of those Cohen games like he had against Atlanta a few years back where he goes big for a couple touchdowns out of nowhere. Across the board here, we have Michael Pittman. I love Pittman. I love what he's going to be able to do in New, uh, in Indy. I don't know if he's going to do it week one. Um, he is the kind of receiver that Phillip Rivers loves to try to target. The problem is Rivers doesn't have the big arm like he used to. He's actually kind of a shit show nowadays. I'm not sure why they just insisted on going out and getting him. I thought there was better fits. I do think Pittman has a good game against a shitty Jacksonville defense. My opinion, though, is that Paris Campbell is the wide receiver that goes off for any week one. I give the advantage at the flex position to Cohen and Eric on this one. Now we go to the super flex position. Again, guys, both of them starting quarterbacks, smart moves here. I just, well, shit, I just talked shit about Rivers, so I guess you know my opinion on him. Thing about Rivers, though, he is going up against the worst defense in Jacksonville, guys. I mean, hell, half of us in this in, in this league right now could probably play for Jacksonville at this current moment. Their defense, they sold off everything that was not nailed down. And if it was nailed down, they just tried to burn it and sell it anyway. I do think Rivers has a decent game. He's going to be one of those quarterbacks this year that I probably, I would venture to say, throws for 300 yards a couple times. But in those games, he'll have three touchdowns, two to three interceptions. I think he's going to start looking like Eli Manning at the tail end of his career. I don't think it happens week one, though. I think he actually has a good week, week one. And they'll utilize that run game to help open up some uh, passing lanes for him. I do think he's going to be an asset week one. Across the table there is Jimmy G. Okay, guys, I'll be honest with you. Ladies love the Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah, the dude should be a model. I don't think he's a quarter, I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. The worst thing he ever did was get out of New England. With Belichick, I think this guy could have been amazing. Problem is he plays on a team that is run first. They've always been that way. They love to just dip and dodge. They, that zone blocking scheme is amazing for the run game. It opens up some passing lanes for a quarterback, but we've seen what this guy does, what he can do under pressure. It's not impressive. He did have some big games last season, but they were very few and far between. Debo's hobbled. They no longer have Sanders. Ayuk is hobbled. I mean, Bourne might be the wide receiver one on this team for week one. It's going to be Bourne and Kittle. They are going to run the ball heavily to try to keep the ball out of Kyler's hands and control that game. I think it's going to be a shitty week for Garoppolo. I give the edge easily to a guy that I can't stand in Phillip Rivers. Now the kicker position. <laughs> I think this is a pretty decent matchup. Um, we have Dan Bailey against Koo. Young Ho, if you want to know. Um, but, guys, I don't want to talk about kicker position much. Slight edge to Dan Bailey. I think they're going to have to put up a lot of points to compete with Green Bay. I think Koo will have some extra points, but I don't think there's going to be many field goals in the game against Seattle. We can't afford to if we want a chance to win. Now we move on to the defense position. These defenses could not have been more different last year. Chicago came in highly touted. Everyone thought they were going to be a top two defense. I think they were drafted number one overall by ADP last year. They kind of shit the bed, guys. A lot of that had to do with the fact that their offense couldn't stay on the field and give them a break. I think the offense might improve slightly from what it was last year, but it's ever so slightly, guys. Unless this defense just learns to be hungry, I think we're going to see a lot more of the same of what we saw last year. They are playing against Detroit. Uh, Stafford's healthy. Got a lot of weapons. He's going to try to air it out quickly. I think Stafford's going to try to just keep the ball out of – 
his right now his running backs are just pitiful. We don't know what's going on. So I think he's going to try to keep the ball in his hands and away from his running backs. I think that's going to hurt Chicago when it comes to points and yards given up. Across the table there, New England. New England last year was amazing. They were winning fantasy weeks by themselves. Like, no, no lie. I think through six weeks in most of my leagues, they were a top 10 player in fantasy football. The defense. That being said, guys, COVID really fucked this team. <laughs> they had some of the biggest names on their defense with Hightower and Chung opt out as well as probably, I think it was five more. They're still going to be a great defensive team. Belichick knows how to scheme. He always knows how to get the best out of his defensive players. They are going up against Miami with Fitzmagic. They are going to throw the ball around as much as possible. So there's going to be a lot of turnovers. If there's one thing Fitzy can do, he can throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. I give the slight edge to New England and that defense in this week. But it's a pretty close one, a little closer than I would expect. That all being said, guys, I think I'm going to have to go with the running back tight end combo as well as the flexes for Eric to be the one thing that pulls him out this this week. I think the projections are very wrong. I'm not saying this is going to be as a high-scoring game as Sleeper thinks. I'm going 151-72 for Eric against 148-12 for Clay. I got the victory, the third victory of the week going to Eric. And Clay, you're bringing home that you're bringing home that L. Sorry about it, buddy. So let's go ahead and jump in our next matchup. These two guys had a lot of banter back and forth during the draft, as everybody should know by now. If you don't, Evan is our resident Cincinnati Bengals fan. Um, never thought I'd actually see a Bengals fan after 1987, but uh, here he is. On the other side, we have Derek. You know, Derek uh, drafted Joe Burrow right before Evan. Kind of sniped him on that when I really thought it was going to go to Evan. But just to give you a heads up, Evan, Derek likes him some Baker Mayfield. Maybe you guys can work something out on that front. I'd probably do it after week one because the last thing you'd want to do is make a trade that makes you lose your first week. Now, Sleeper has this matchup 166-12 in favor of Evan versus 157-14 for Derek. Let's see how I play it out. At the quarterback position, you have two guys that really stood off, that really uh, stood up last year, jumped off the page going into fantasy drafts this year. Kyler Murray, Josh Allen. Kyler Murray has been excelling in Cliff Kingsbury's system out there. He's got one more year under his belt working with Cliff. Additionally, they add DeAndre Hopkins. Kenyon Drake was a huge addition last year. The emergence of um, Edmonds. This team has no shortage of weapons. Who'd ever thought you could trade away David Johnson, get Hopkins, and a second-round pick back in return? This team is going to light it up this year on the offensive side of the ball. Let's just see what the defense can do. Across the ball there, we have Josh Allen. Josh Allen made it happen last year all on his legs. This guy's a dual-threat quarterback, and I really say that lightly because he really does not have that first threat. Josh Allen may be the most inaccurate quarterback we've seen in the NFL in quite a long time. That being said, he's got a lot of weapons. They spent a lot of capital to get digs on that team. I love the running backs. They've really surrounded him with enough firepower that he can make it happen if he can just hone in some of that accuracy. They're going off against the Jets. Should be a pretty good matchup for them. I give the favor slightly to Allen, strictly on the legs. I think Murray going up against that San Francisco defense might be a touch tough. So the edge is slightly in favor of Allen here, but it's close to a push. Now we jump down to the running back cores. This is one of the best running back um, quartet, quartet, I guess, that we'll see week one. 
You have two guys who are vying for the NFL rushing title this year. You have Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. These two guys are both downhill runners, highly physical, very talented guys, on-run first teams. They're going to get a lot of ball. They're going to get it early. They're going to get it often. These two guys are going to put up a lot of 100-yard games in the future as long as they stay healthy. Both teams' RB2s come with a few question marks. Connors is his health. Mixon is whether or not they're actually going to utilize him the way he should be. I think he was underutilized until the end of the season last year, and we got to see a glimpse of what Mixon can do when he's given the ball full time. I think as it relates to these four running backs, these team, these two teams are a wash. If Connor is healthy week one, I really like his chances against Mixon, and I think Chubb and Henry might as well be 1A and 1B for the rushing title. I can't say who I think is going to win here, so the running back position for this matchup is a wash. We take a step down to the wide receiver. Now, this is where we start to see a little bit of separation. I love Antonio or AJ Brown. I love what he was able to do last year. Kid has big play written all over it. He can take a slant to the house from 20 yard from his own 20 yard line like it's nothing. That being said, I never like to rely on a guy who is a big play player. He had a lot of drops back at Old Miss. He's a physical guy. I do think that he is a talented wide receiver, but I do not think. He lives up to the hype that has been given him this year. Across the way there, we have Kenny Galladay. Kenny G is one of the most up and com- one of the best up and coming wide receivers in the league. I don't think he gets the respect he's due. I think a full season with Stafford is really going to set this guy off and make him a top ten wide receiver by year's end. I give the slight edge at the WR one position over here to Evan at um, with Kenny Galladay. Stepping down to the wide receiver two position, I love both these guys. Both these guys showed out last year. McLaurin was he was an afterthought after the NFL draft. I don't know why people slept on him. He was great at Ohio State. He shows flashes of brilliance. He runs great routes. The kid's electric with speed. He's pretty much the only target in that passing game for Washington. It's just who's going to be throwing in the ball. Now, across the board there, you have Michael Gallup, who was extremely proficient last year. He might have truly been the wide receiver one for Dallas, to be honest with you. I mean, I know Amari Cooper is their pseudo wide receiver one, but as it relates to statistics and how they played in gameplay, it was Michael Gallup. I think he steps into that role again this year. I think the addition of CeeDee Lamb actually hurts Amari Cooper more so than Gallup. I think Gallup is still that clear-cut number two as of right now. I think he's going to get his touches. At the wide receiver two position, it's a wash for me. Going down to the wide receiver three, both these guys I really like. As your wide receiver three, you cannot go wrong with Landry or Boyd. Both these guys are always going to be target hawks. These guys are going to finish the year as top 25 wide receivers, and nobody's even going to realize it. Landry's been doing it since he came in the NFL, and that was even under Adam Gates. Now, these two guys are going to get a lot of potential – targets week in week out here week one they do go up against very tough defenses i don't like the defensive matchup for either of them i'm giving it a wash here so with the wide receiver position i give a very slight edge to evan going into week one and we take a step down to the tight end position this is where it kind of sets apart i really do love noah fan i think the kid's amazing talent he's got a great future ahead of him the problem is i don't like his quarterback and there are way too many targets to feed out there in denver the addition of Albert O adds an extra complexity to that tight end position. 
I don't think Fant is going to get the targets he needs to succeed and excel and take that next step at the NFL level. Across the way is Ertz. I don't think Ertz gets the credit for what he is. With the, with the emergence of Kelsey and Kittle the last few years, everyone's forgotten about Ertz. Ertz is still the pseudo number one target in that Philly offense. Even when everyone's healthy, Ertz is still the number one tight end and target for that team. I think Ertz has an amazing year, especially in a PPR. I give the edge here in convincing fashion over to Evan. Now we drop down into the flex and super flex position. At the flex position, we got two, two, two teammates. Both of them, honestly, are number twos on their team. Zach Moss, I think, steps into the lower end of the timeshare in that backfield behind Singletary. I love the kid's talent out of college. He does have some issues with fumbling, I believe, and I think he had some health issues coming in. But biggest knock on him is he hasn't had time to really get some um, NFL speed gameplay so far. The, the lack of preseason really hurts these rookies. I think it hurts him mainly because Singletary ended the season last year very strong. They have faith in the guy. Additionally, Allen is going to take a lot of those goal line touches away. So Moss's, Moss's ceiling this year is limited. Now across the board, you have John Brown. You have Smokey. Smokey was amazing last year. Problem, they took digs, gave a lot of capital to get him, and he's their number one. Now Brown is going to be the deep threat for Josh Allen, who loves to chuck it deep. His accuracy just sucks. I think that I think Brown does take a step back this year with the addition of Diggs. Now, as it relates to these two heads up, I still give the advantage to Brown. I think Brown's going to catch a couple passes, get somewhere in that 60 to 65 yards, has an outside potential of catching a touchdown, so the advantage goes to Evan with Brown. Step down to the super flex position. As always, these guys did the right thing. Put two QBs in that super flex position. And to be honest with you, I won't be surprised if these QBs are on each other's teams in a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Evan's a giant Burrow fan. Burrow happens to be on Derek's team. Mayfield is a, uh, sorry, Derek is a giant Mayfield fan. Mayfield happens to be playing for Evan in this matchup. These two quarterbacks, though they are slightly different, are very similar. Both of them had one amazing year in college. Both of them are Heisman champions. Both these guys come into the league as the number one draft pick. Both of them are on poor teams with great offensive weapons. I do think this is going to be a head-to-head matchup here. I can't say who's going to win. I think it's very tight, so it's a push for me at the super flex position. And again, it's going to be interesting to see if these two guys aren't traded for each other in the very near future. Step down to the kicker position. Again, guys, I hate talking kickers, but I especially hate talking kickers on shitty teams. Lambo two weeks ago, last year, loved the guy. He had a lot of opportunity. I just don't think that Jacksonville team is going to be able to get him in scoring position to at least kick field goals. Across the way, Zane Gonzalez was amazing last year, but that's because Arizona had some trouble at times put, uh, punching it in the end zone. Once they got Drake on board, it wasn't an issue. Now they add Hopkins. Zane's going to kick a shit ton of extra points. I do think he lacks in the field goal position. I give the slight edge here to Zane. Step down to the defenses. These defenses three years ago were lights out. Love the Vikings two, three years ago. Love the Broncos two, three years ago. These aren't the same teams. The Vikings have two elite players at every position on the defense, the defensive line, the middle uh, linebackers, and the secondary. Problem is their secondary is the safeties. They can be picked apart in the passing game. We saw that last year. Their cornerbacks are pathetic at best. Teams are going to abuse that, and he's going up against, and they're going up against Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams this week. Across the way, the Broncos just lost Von Miller. 
they're going up against a team where they needed Von Miller. Von Miller was the only guy, I think, on this defense that had a chance to hit Henry hard and make him think about coming around that edge next time, as well as get the pressure that they need to on Tannehill to make him mess up. Tannehill's going to have plenty of time in the pocket. I do think they're going to score a lot. So both these defenses are in for a very tough week one. I give the slight edge to the Vikings strictly because I think they'll control the ball offensively. I don't think it has much to do with their defense. So as it relates to this matchup head-to-head, I do give the edge to Evan. I think the score is going to be 173-18 to Derek putting up an impressive 168-74, but just not enough to overtake Evan in this matchup. The next matchup we're going to look at today is the People's Champ, Adam, going up against Fong. This is going to be a great matchup. Um, Oddly enough, the team has a lot of age on it, has a lot of big-name players. Two years ago, this is the premier matchup of the league, in my opinion. It's yet to be determined how it's going to be this year, but let's just go ahead and dive in quickly. As of right now, Sleeper has Adam being the highest scorer of the the week with 179.99. Going up against the second highest score of the week so far with 171.52. I think it's going to be close to that, but I think you might be interested with how I think you might be intrigued with the way I see it. Start of the QB position. Both these guys two years ago were epic. Now, obviously, these guys have been in the league for a minute. Obviously, these guys are big names. They don't have a problem airing it out. They're highly accurate. They take risks. Problem is two things. On Adam's side of the ball, Ben Roethlisberger is coming off a massive injury that no one has any point of reference to look at when it comes to healing time, how they'll heal, and how they come back effectively. He's also getting extremely old. This is about the time of the career where they start losing a lot of zip on the ball. He has a lot of weapons to throw to. The offensive line is not the same. And if Connor is not healthy, I'm afraid that teams will bum rush him left and right. He's taken a lot of hits in his career. I don't know how that elbow is going to hold up. So I'm a little skeptical of him going into week one. He is going up against a juicy matchup. You can light up New New York Giants in the passing game, especially now that Baker's off that field. I I think Ben has a good game, but I think it's off sheer volume. Across the table, we have Aaron Rodgers. Going into this season, everybody was pretty upset and down on Rodgers because they think he had a pretty bad year last year. Guys, he's still been a top 10 quarterback every year in the NFL as it relates to fantasy. The guy still had a good a good statistical season last year. Now, I know when you go into the draft thinking they're going to draft nothing but wide receivers in this wide receiver rich uh, draft and they go out there and draft a backup QB and a backup running back, it, it turned a lot of heads and raised a lot of eyebrows. But the more I've looked at it and the more I've done analysis on this team, I actually do like Rodgers' weapons. I was always a Sternberger fan coming into the the NFL. I think Lazard is one of the most underrated number twos in the league. And at the same token, you get to put MVS back into the slot where he thrived. I think this team is a little bit better than most people think in the passing game. And I think Rodgers is going to have a great season. I think Rodgers finishes as a top five quarterback at year's end statistically. I give the edge in this position to um, Fong, and it's not even close. Nothing against Big Ben, but I've really got to see it on the field before I can say that it's a good play. Next, we jump down into the – again, guys, I'm sorry. I'm breathing hard. I'm literally struggling to breathe. I just want to get through this for you guys. Um, Next, we jump down to the running back position. This is an interesting set of guys right here. You know, 
I'm a big fan of uh, Ezekiel Elliott. I think he's the second best running back pound for pound in the NFL behind Barkley. I think he's going to get a lot of targets out there. I think they paid him that money for a reason. Jerry Jones is not going to let that money go to waste. Eckler, I loved what Eckler did last year. Problem was that was a different, a different team, a different offensive scheme, and a different quarterback. Phillip Rivers loved checking down to Eckler. That was his game. Tyrod does check down, but Tyrod also is mobile. He's not going to check down nearly as much. I think this team is going to be a defensive run first, run second, pass throw kind of team. I think they're going to rely on Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly. They want to see what they got in the backfield there. I think Eckler takes a huge step back as it relates to the season in total, but he's still going to be a target monster. I still think he's going to get his catches in the passing game, which is a great for PPR. This one-two duo is nasty. Now across the board there, you got Dalvin Cook. There's a lot of issues going on right now about his contract. This guy is highly injury prone, but he is on a run first team that just lost their best offensive weapon in the passing game. They are going to have to rely on Cook hard this season. Whether or not his body can hold up is yet to be determined, but for the first week, I really like his chances, especially against Green Bay. They're going to be playing from behind. This guy's going to have to go out there and dictate how this game is run. Next, we have David Johnson. Who'd ever thought this guy would have such a fall for grace as he rose quickly out of nowhere? David Johnson seemingly disappeared the last couple of years after an injury. He wasn't that bad last year when he was on the field. He was a top 10 running back for fantasy purposes. But he just looks slow. He looks lost. He's plodding out there too much. He honestly looks like he doesn't feel like he has it anymore. Maybe the change of pace and scenery going to Houston is a good thing for him. I think Deshaun Watson can get the best out of DJ. I actually see them spreading him out wide now that they've gotten rid of Hopkins. He can be utilized both in the backfield as well as in the passing game. I think it's going to be good for him going up against Kansas City. It is a shootout, so he's going to have to be utilized hard early. If he doesn't make it happen, they have no problem going to Duke. They spent a lot of draft capital in a trade on for Duke. So DJ needs to come out there quick. Now, in the running back position, though I'm not a big fan of Eckler's season this year, I do give the advantage to Adam here. I just think that one-two combo of Elliott and Eckler in a PPR is too hard to overcome. Now, we go down to run, uh, wide receivers here. Now... I'm a big OBJ, OBJ fan. I, I don't know what's happened to this guy. Maybe his off-the-field issues. Maybe his psych, Maybe he's the next AB. Who knows? The kid has way too much talent to be looking this horrible. He didn't have that bad of a season last year, statistically. But he should be in the top three or four conversation every season. Especially with a quarterback like Baker who can give him the ball. He's just not dictating the targets. A lot of that, I think, goes to his attitude. Maybe his on-the-field play. He just looks like a prima donna out there, game in and game out. After what Tripp put on the message board this week about one of his little fetishes, you know, I think he's a shitty player. So I don't want him, but I can understand that I can understand the talent. Across the table there, you have Deontay, um, Devontae Adams. Dude is a target monster. He's going to be excellent for PPR this season. I actually have him as a top four wide receiver in the PPR format. I think Rodgers has something to prove this year. He's going to go after Adams with all he's got. I can see Adams starting out with 14 catches week one, maybe a touch or two. I give the advantage to Adams, and it's not really that close, as sad as it is. At the wide receiver two position, 
two guys who are the number who well were number two on their teams. The addition of Josh Gordon in Seattle, if he gets um, approved by the NFL, and the addition of Hopkins in Arizona might slide these guys down to number three. I know, guys, Metcalf's a monster. He's a beast. Everyone loves his physique and this not. He's a raw talent, though. He's not a polished receiver. That was his not coming out of Old Miss. It's still true today. He makes things happen because of his physicality. But out there on the field, Josh Gordon, though he's lost a step, though he's not as physical, is still a better route runner. If they put Gordon on the field against Atlanta, Metcalf becomes that number three, in my opinion, week one. Both these guys are super talented. I love their upside long-term in the, in, in the NFL. Kirk was one of my favorite young guys last year. I give the advantage in this position at the wide receiver two slightly to Adam. And it's really sad because I think Metcalf's going to have a better year. But week one, I do think it's going to be Kirk. At the wide receiver three position, now we step into two guys that couldn't be more different. You have Edelman, who, little man, always always good with the hands. Brady's favorite target. He's got a lot going against him this year. He's hobbled right now. He's getting much older. He's actually had some problems with some drops last year, which was surprising, and he lost Tom Brady. I don't think Cam Newton comes in here and starts throwing to Edelman day one. Cam Newton wants to set himself aside from Tom Brady. He wants to prove that it wasn't Tom Brady. It was Belichick that made that that machine roll. I think he actually targets Harry quite often and early. Now, that being said, Edelman's going to get his, especially in a PPR. I could see eight for 90. I don't think he gets in the end zone. I think they use uh, I think they use either Cam or one of those backs to do that in this game. Still, that's not a bad game. I think it's around that 14-point game for him this week. Across the way there, you have Ruggs. Las Vegas spent heavy on Ruggs in this draft. He was the first draft, uh, running back coming off the – sorry. First wide receiver to come off the board in the 2020 NFL draft. Anybody who saw him in Alabama knows this kid's talent. He's basically Tyreek Hill light, but can actually run some good routes as well. Not saying Tyreek can't, but this kid runs better routes than most people give him credit for. Problem was, he was playing behind a guy named Jerry Judy at Alabama. You put him on any other team, he's the number one target, and he is talked about in the elk of Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb. Now, Las Vegas has a lot to prove this year. I do think Carr tries to hit him very, very often. Carr thrived when he had Cooper on that team offensively, whether people realize it or not. I do think Ruggs is that main target in this offense. He sees 12 to 14 the first week. I think he catches 8 to 10 of those. I see him getting 100 yards and a touch. I give the slight advantage to the wide wide receiver three over to Fong on this one. Now we go down to the – and I, I truly hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. If I'm not, please text me offline and give me a heads up. Now we go down to the tight end position. We have a battle of two monsters last year, to be honest with you. I mean, Kelsey is the primo tight end when it comes to PPR. I do think he's going to slowly start taking a step back. He's getting a little older in age. He just got a huge contract. Luckily, tight ends of his physique and his play style can last for a while. I do think they've got a lot of weapons out there in KC. They might distribute it a little bit more if they can all stay healthy. I still see Kelsey being the tight end two this year and a monster. Across the way, we have Dar- uh, Darren Waller. Guy was a former wide receiver, converted tight end. Had some issues coming into the NFL. Showed out last year with his talent. Last year, I think he was everybody's like 24th and 25th round pick. Kid is super talented. 
He's probably the number two target in this offense. I do think they're going to target him quite often. There's a lot of talk about Edwards taking us taking a lot of targets and maybe even Witten out there. Guys, Waller is the number two, at least in my opinion, going into this first week. Carolina can be exposed to tight ends. They don't have the best uh, linebacking core. Waller is a mismatch for any level of defense that's covering him. I do give this slight advantage in this matchup to Kelsey, but it's extremely close, almost too close to call for me. Step down to the flex position. You know, a week ago, I would have said Ronald Jones was an excellent flex to match up against Carson. The addition of Fournette kind of changes that. I do think Jones is the lion's share this timeshare, at least week one against New Orleans. Carson, it'll be, it's to be determined whether or not he's fully healthy. I know Atlanta can be exposed on the ground. Biggest difference is now we have uh, Davidson to go alongside Grady to clog that hole. The addition of Fowler on the outside and of Tag and Step Up, you might have to just beat us through the air, which limits Carson's upside this season. Additionally, Seattle's already said they want to let Russ cook. They want to let him air it out more often. So I really think this is a nice tight uh, flex matchup here. It's kind of a coin toss for me. I give the edge to Carson because I think he's a better pure runner at this stage in the game. I do hope he's healthy enough to get it done, though. But the edge is slightly going to Adam for Carson. Next, we go to the super flex. As always, two quarterbacks are going in this slot here. Two guys that really couldn't be more different, though. You have Tyrod Taylor who gets a crack at being the starting quarterback for the L.A. Chargers. I love Tyrod. I think he got a, a tough break there in Cleveland. He was actually pretty good for him starting out. I liked him when he was in Buffalo. He's nothing special. He can do it with his legs. He's got a good arm. He checks down when he needs to. He's a smart quarterback. He's getting older, older than people realize. He's got a lot of weapons there. Some of them are banged up. I really think this team relies heavily on their defense in the run game. I see Tyrod doing a lot of low-risk plays. I don't think he's going to have a lot of yardage. I don't think he's going to have a lot of touchdowns. I see Tyrod throwing for like 230, maybe two touchdowns and interception in this game. Across the way there, Matt Ryan. Everyone knows Matt Ryan's up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. If you look at his fantasy years since he came in the league, he has one down year, one excellent year, one down year, one excellent year. Guess what, guys? This is the time for that excellent year. The addition of Gurley and Hurst really open up that offense a lot more. I wouldn't be surprised if we signed Sanu to come in as our number three alongside Gage. Ridley's going to take that next step. Julio's already there. He's not taking a step back yet. This is going to be one of the most prolific offenses, at least in the passing game, and that means Matt Ryan is going to be an elite quarterback in 2020. I give the advantage to Ryan here at the Superflex, and it's not even close. It's actually pretty, pretty deep. I think he actually scores 10 to 12 points more than Tyrod easily. I think Ryan actually outscores Ben this week as well. Step down to the kicking. Tucker's the be- one of the best kickers in fantasy. Baltimore moves the ball, get him in scoring positions all the time. Cleveland's defense is not as good as it should be. I think Tupper, Tucker gets a lot of opportunity. I can see him scoring 12-plus points this week. Across the way there, we have McManus. McManus is kicking at home. Light air. He's got a great leg out there. It's just whether or not that offense can click and get moving. Losing Vaughn Miller is going to keep that defense off the field a lot. Teams are going to score quickly. I'm afraid McManus isn't going to have the opportunities this week. I think he's going to have one, two field goal chances, maybe an extra point. I think Tucker gets the advantage, and it's pretty 
pretty sizable. Step down to the defenses. Um, I like both these defenses. I don't like the matchup for one of them. I love the matchup for the other. Eagles were a surprisingly good defense last year, and they only got better in the offseason. They're going up against probably the second-worst offense in Washington. I think they're going to truck them. I think they get two touchdowns on the defensive side of the ball. I think the Eagles may be the second or third highest scoring um, player on this team this week behind Elliott and possibly Eckler. That being said, across the way, you have the Chiefs. Chiefs have a lot of people missing on the defensive side of the ball. I do think that they're going to be good this year. I think they get trucked week one. I think they're going to give up 400-plus yards in the passing game, 100 yards on the ground. I think they give up a total of 500 yards, all-purpose yards, and probably four touchdowns. In fantasy, especially in this format, they're probably going to come close to getting like five or six points, maybe breaking even. So I give the advantage to the Eagles, and it's not even close. Now going back and looking at everything, weighing all the options, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think Sleeper got that right. I actually have it 178-92 for Fong, and I only have 174-51 for Adam. It's a close one, guys. I think the biggest hindrance is going to be Big Ben and Tyrod for Adam's team. They could surprise me. They could both show out. Even then, I still think he's going to play. He's going to be playing from behind most of this matchup. So I have Fallen getting the fifth win of this season. And I have Adam coming out with the fifth loss, his first loss in the uh, regular season in week one. I saved this one for last for obvious reasons. This matchup, we have Team A. Farrell 2 against Team A. Farrell 2. Um, you have myself, the commish, going up against Aaron. Two teams that uh, I know everybody's seen the power rankings. You know, take my ranking with a grain of salt. I do that every season. But I think these are going to be two high-scoring teams throughout the entire year. Sleeper actually has it. Oh, they actually just made Aaron the second highest score in the week. Myself the third highest. So right now they have Aaron a favorite, 178.38 to 174.95. I actually think we both outscore those. But I think it's going to be a tight one. Let's go ahead and see how I play this out. At the quarterback position, as I mentioned earlier, I love the Wilson-Watson quarterback heads-up matchup. This one, I think, is far better. You have Mahomes against Jackson. These two guys should put up over 30 points week one. These should be the one and two quarterback by season's end. Doing it different ways, Mahomes through the air, Jackson through the ground, but they are primed for huge years. I give the slight advantage to Mahomes because I do think they're in a shootout. I think Jackson controls the ball a little bit more against Cleveland, so the slight advantage goes to Mahomes, but it's very close, almost too close to call. Now we jump into the running backs. This is kind of where we differ. I have Le'Veon Bell and Kareem Hunt. Le'Veon Bell, I never like anybody that plays for Adam Gase, but Bell is still super talented. He's super motivated, got in a lot of shape in the offseason. He really wants to prove that they either need to trade him or let him get the rock. I think they give him the opportunity. The only thing behind him is Frank Gore, and we all know that guy's a vampire. He'll get his touches because Adam Gase is in love with him, but Bell is still too talented not to be on the field. Right behind him, you have Hunt. If Hunt was on any other team in the NFL, Hunt would be a top 10 running back. That's just who Hunt is. He just got a two-year extension. The guy's going to get his, especially in a PPR. I think he's going to have somewhere in that 60 to 70 catch range. Probably put another 300 yards rushing in as well. I love these two in PPR. Not sure about the matchup with Hunt against Baltimore. 
Not sure about Bell's matchup against Buffalo, so I am a little scary about that. Now, across the way, we have Kenyon Drake and Aaron Jones, two guys who showed out heavy last year. Drake, when he went from Miami to Arizona, instantly became the RB1 the weeks he was there. Guy was unstoppable. I don't think it really slows down this year. I do think he's got to watch out for Edmonds behind him. And guys, just remember, Drake's been in the NFL for four or five years now. He's only got four or five games of quality production. That means he's going to have kind of a short leash. If he comes out there and stinks it up the first couple of weeks, Edmonds is a quality back. They will put a timeshare out there. Not to mention they have Eno Benjamin behind him. That being said, guys, I do like Drake's um, output in week one. I think he's going to be a top 10 running back by the end of the week. Right behind him, we have Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was a monster last year, guys. This guy was a fantasy dino. Like, if you had him on your team, you most likely won. A lot of the champions in my leagues last year had Aaron Jones on their team. The guy has been super talented. He's just never been given the opportunity under McCarthy's system to shine. Now, I'm not a Flores guy, but he did at least give the ability to Jones to go out there and do what he does. Everyone freaked out when they drafted A.J. Dillon this offseason. Jamal Williams is still there. Neither one of these guys are Aaron Jones, guys. Aaron Jones is an electric player. He can do it on the ground. He can do it in the passing game. He's actually There's actually talk right now about him getting an extension. If they do give him an extension, Aaron Jones will be a monster this year. If they don't give him an extension, Aaron Jones will be a monster this year. He'll be playing for a contract. I love Aaron Jones' upside. He's going off most drafts as like the RB 12 to 14. I actually think he's more of an RB 8 or 9 with skill and potential, just whether or not he gets the volume. That being said, guys, I give the advantage to Aaron in the running back position, and it's by a sizable margin. I think he's got me about 10 to 12 points in the RB position. That is if Bell and Hunt can't put anything together. Now we step down to the wide receivers. (laughs) These wide receiving cores are awesome. Two of my favorites personally. Obviously, I drafted one of them. First, we have the Battle of L.A., Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. I think they had 92 and 94 uh, catches last year, respectively. Big difference was they were really close in yards, too. I think like 20 to 30 yards apart. Biggest difference was Cup was the TD machine. Woods wasn't. Woods had two touchdowns last year. Cup is that go-to guy for golf, especially when they get in close. He's Mr. Reliable. Woods is still probably the most underrated wide receiver in fantasy. He always gets drafted around wide receiver 20, but he, guys, he's got wide receiver one upside. He can be a top 12, 14 wide receiver easily. And he's the most consistent the last couple of seasons. That being said, they're going up against Dallas. It's going to be a high scoring game. I think cup edges this one out slightly and it's only because of touchdown. I think woods gets more catches. I'm going to go ahead and call this one a wash because it's too close to call. Step down to number two. Two wide receivers that are very similar to each other. Both of them don't get the respect they deserve. Both of them are on the um, come up right now. I think Ridley takes that next step to truly make it 1A and 1B in Atlanta this year. Lockett, I think, takes that next step to truly step away and um, separate himself from that receiving core in Seattle. I see both these guys catching 8 to 10 balls, close to 100 yards, if not 110 and a touch in week one. This one's too close to call. If I had to give an advantage in the heads-up matchup here, I would give it slightly, ever so slightly, to lock it, just because I think he's going to be more the go-to for Wilson than Ridley would be for Ryan. Step down to wide receiver three. Two young guys who I think they're both in their third year. 
really uh, brought it on last year, really stepped it up, proved to be their team's number one, and actually are fighting to be considered a top-tier wide receiver in the NFL. Both of them have some question marks going into the season. More the addition of Robbie Anderson and a new quarterback who doesn't take as many risks. I mean, granted, he did it last year with Kyle Allen, so go fucking figure. I love more. I think he's going to be a PPR machine. Across the way there, you have Sutton. Sutton is super talented. Biggest knock against him. I'm not a big fan of Locke, as we all know. He's got a good rapport with Locke. Additionally, they added Jerry Judy. They added KJ Hamler. They added, Al- they added Alberto. They added Melvin Gordon. There are so many mouths to feed in this offense, and their defense just got worse. I think he went from 130 target guy to probably 110 target guy. It's going to show in his output. I give the advantage of the wide, re- three, wide receiver three position to myself and DJ Moore by a good five points, if not more. Step down to the tight end position. I really like this one, guys. I think these guys are super talented, super athletic. Both of them are going to be catching a lot of catches for their teams, getting a lot of targets week in and week out. Biggest difference is Hurst has never really had all the workload because he played with and behind Mark Andrews out there in Baltimore. But let's not forget, guys, Hurst was a first-round pick. Dude was a monster at South Carolina. I think he's going to thrive in this offense. Now, across the board there, you have Evan Ingram. When Evan Ingram is on the field, he's Darren Waller-esque. He might actually be better than Darren Waller if he's healthy. This guy's a wide receiver playing tight end position. Extremely talented. Should be the number two target for that offense in the receiving game out there in New York. Biggest problem is, can he stay healthy? Seems like the wind blows or he farts wrong, and this guy pulls a hammy or gets a fucking ankle sprain. I do think he's going to be healthy for week one. He couldn't have had a worse matchup than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a physical defense. They are going to hit everybody on this team hard. I give the advantage to Hurst, but it's ever so slightly. Now we step down into the flex and super flex position. Djax is healthy. How long he stays healthy? Who knows? Last year he had one of the best week ones. I think he was a wide receiver two right behind Sammy Watkins week one last year. As of right now, he's the only target outside of Ertz and Godwin there for Philly. I think he gets hit big. I think he gets two long balls. I could see him go for four catches for 180 and two touchdowns. Again, I could see him getting one catch for 12 yards and going out in the first quarter with a hamstring injury. I don't know. I love taking the risk on a guy like that in my flex, especially against a shitty team like Washington. I really like his chances this week. Now across the way there, You have Mark Ingram. This guy is the ageless wonder. It feels like he's been in the NFL for 40 fucking years. This guy didn't do anything wrong last year. This guy was actually an amazing running back last year. He was a, if Lamar Jackson wasn't on this team, he'd have been a 1500 yard rusher. I mean, this guy was a touchdown machine as well. What do they do in the off season? They go out and draft Dobbins, my favorite running back coming out of this draft. That basically signifies the beginning of the end for Ingram's time here in Baltimore. I think he's a free agent at the end of the year, so I think he's gone. But I think he makes the best of it this season. I mentioned earlier, Lamar and him are going up against Cleveland. I think they try to control the ball. That's going to be done on the ground. I don't think Justice Hill has the respect of his team. I don't think Dobbins is brought up to speed as of yet. I think they're going to rely on Ingram heavy in this game. I could see him going for over 110 and a touch. I give the advantage of the flex position to Ingram, but I could also see in Jackson tripling Ingram's output out of nowhere. 
But as of right now, as it sits with the matchups, Ingram gets the, the, the slight nod at the flex. Now we move on to the super flex position. This is really where these two teams separated themselves from a lot of the pack. I get it, guys. Golf isn't the same golf as he was two years ago. But he was a different golf than he was the year before. Golf has a lot of weapons. I'm a big McVay fan. I do think that he's going to get the best out of these guys. When you're throwing to Cup, Woods, Higby, Everett, Henderson out of the backfield, Akers out of the backfield, you also add a Van Jefferson and a highly talented Reynolds in that offense. That's a lot of weapons, guys. This team's defense has taken a step back over the years. The addition of Ramsey last year and the extension has really helped them out. Their offensive line is porous, so they're going to have to throw it early and quick. He's going to have to learn to get rid of the ball fast. Hopefully that defense or that offensive line has stepped up and gives him a little bit more time. I think golf is one of the better super flexes in this league. I think in that division, he's going to have to throw for 4,500 yards. I could see him getting 35 touches. I really like golf this year. Problem is he's going up against Dak. Dak Prescott is my number three quarterback in dynasty, my number three quarterback in fantasy, especially in this format. Dak was amazing last year. I think he ended the season as QB2 as the fourth overall player in most of my leagues. What did they do for him in the offseason? Oh, they just gave him a number one wide receiver to go along with his already number one wide receiver in Cooper and his high-end number two wide receiver, Gallup. This guy has the best weapons in football, in my opinion, to throw to. He gets to throw to Cooper, Lamb, Gallup. Zeke and Pollard out of the backfield, and I'm a big fan of Jarwin. This is going to be a huge advantage for my team this year. I did this on purpose. A lot of people's eyebrows raised when I went QB, QB, but this is the main reason. I can at least have 60 to 80 points almost on you – can, you can write it in pen almost weekly between my QB and Superflex. I think I have the advantage of Superflex here. I think it's going to be a big advantage for me this week. Going to the kicker position – Two guys that I, I could really care less about, to be honest with you. I think Crosby's at the tail end of his career. Elliott, so-so. He plays on a good team. I give the slight edge to Elliott by two or three points. I think he kicks an extra field goal. Crosby, I think, is going to just be a lot of extra points this week against Minnesota. Now we step down to the defenses. The Bills were surprisingly one of the better defenses last year, and they're probably still a top-four defense, especially for fantasy purposes in 2020. They're going up against a piss-poor New York offense. With Sam Darnold, basically it's Le'Veon Bell and a bunch of nobodies. I think they're going to thrive in this matchup. I think they get a defensive touchdown, if not more. The scoring is going to be low. I think they hold Darnold and Bell to under 300 total yards, as sad as that is. You can quote me on that. I think the Bills win this game big. I think they control the ball. I think they're one of my, probably my fourth highest score on this team this week. Across the board there, you have the Colts. Colts defense was very surprising last year, more surprising than the Bills. They weren't better. They were just more surprising in the fact that nobody cared about them, and they actually were a good defense. I think they improved this year in the offseason. Defense is only going to get better, and guess what? They get it going against the worst offense in the league. This offense has Chark, Minshew. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, they got a bunch of players that could be. I mean, I don't think Jacksonville scores 21 points but maybe once or twice this season. I don't think they do it week one. I think the Colts steamroll them. That offensive line is going to allow Rivers and those running backs to do whatever the hell they want this week. I think the Colts win this game something like 34 to 14. 
I think they control the ball. I don't think Minshew turns it over often. I do think the Colts get a, at least one or two turnovers, though. So that being said, I do give the advantage of defensive position to the Buffalo Bills and my team. So going back and look through it all, guys, I do have this as the highest scoring matchup. And y'all might call me stupid. You might call me a homer. You might call me favorite, whatever. I actually see Aaron scoring 191.04. I have myself scoring 193.87. Calling the upset, calling it for myself. I'm probably going to jinx it. But I really do think it's going to be the highest scoring matchup probably of the season early on. And I do think I'm going to have the slight advantage ever so slightly just because of that one-two punch is slightly better than his one-two punch at quarterback and super flex. Outside of that, guys, it's a pretty tight matchup. As you saw in the power rankings I just released, I have Aaron number one. I really have this guy as a monster all season long. I said I meant it when I said I don't want to have to face him. I'm glad I get to face him week one. There's a lot to prove week one for a lot of my players, especially the shootout with Mahomes and Watson week uh, in the first game tonight. So I'm hoping that's enough to get over the ledge. If not, I won't be surprised if Aaron knocks it out. But I do think both these teams score in the 190s. Now that's all I really got on this matchup. That's all I got for week one, guys. Like I said, hopefully I can go a little bit more in depth later on in future episodes. I've been dealing with an illness here recently, and my meds are really just not helping right now. If you can tell from this podcast, I've actually deteriorated as we've gone along. But thank you for bearing with me. I know it took me a while to get those power rankings out as well as this podcast, but as you probably saw from that Google Doc, guys, I've been dealing with a lot this week on top of being sick. So I do appreciate you guys bearing with me. This is probably my second. Actually, this is probably my favorite league because of the way it's set up and the, the owners in it so far. You're definitely in the top two of all the leagues as of right now, which is a highly impressive thing, especially for being a brand new one. Got big things and big hopes for this league. I hope I don't let you down. As always, guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to reach out to me. Text is the best way to get a hold of me. If not, you can shoot me a quick email. I'm always here to talk, and best of luck to everyone starting tonight. Thank you.